How's it going and welcome to episode 109 of On The Wire, proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. Follow the pod on the Twitter at OnTheWirePod. You can follow me at 80Grade, that's all spelled out. You can follow Kevin Hasting at HastingKevin, but unfortunately Kevin is not with us this week. Instead, I brought back Brett Ford to sit alongside me, and you can follow him on the Twitter at FadeThatMan, and you should be following his written work at PitcherList.com as well as he puts forth the Fab Recommendation article every Sunday over there as well. Kind of kind of like a companion piece to this show. Brett, thanks, man, for joining us again two weeks in a row. How you doing, man? Doing well. I'm just glad you invited me back. I was worried after recording my first podcast of the year that I was like, I hope I'll I did okay. What the, Mike I guess. for nothing. I'll never use it again. I want to make sure <laughs> that you got some use out of it. That's all. <laughs> yeah, no, I, things are good. Baseball is here. We're playing ball. I spent a Friday watching baseball, all day Saturday watching baseball. I think my poor three-year-old twins are sick of baseball now, but it beats the heck out of Vince cartoons. I'm psyched. Unless you find that children's cartoon that's also about baseball in some way, incorporate that in there. <laughs> yeah, especially Saturday's recording this, like literally baseball has been on all day long. It's still on right now. And you're listening to this on Sunday, you'll have a whole full day of baseball before you have to set your fab bids. But you know what? Bringing in Brett wasn't good enough. We are bringing in a very special guest back to the show as we welcome back Lucas Beery. Lucas can be heard regularly on the Lucas Baseball Podcast and be read over at his site, dcdynasty.co. Follow him on the Twitter at lucasbeery33, and you can find a link to all of that in the show notes here of this episode. And you can be following him on Twitter for links to everything he does. Lucas, man, thanks for coming back on the show, helping fill in the very large Kevin-sized hole that this show has this week. How you doing, man? Thanks for coming back. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for that great intro there and excited to have the chance to jump back on the pod. I love what you guys do for Fab. Very deep, detailed, and highly informative. So excited to hopefully be able to contribute a little bit to that tonight. Great. Yeah, we'll see if we can hit that two-hour mark like we did in week <laughs> one. It'll be a late... Yeah, I know. I'm shaking my head too, Brett. <laughs> and we'll... let's get So let's get right into it. So maybe we can avoid that and maybe people can listen to the episode on one time speed instead of two times speed. Brett, I will start with you in Baltimore. Some news that broke earlier in the week before the season started, obviously, that Grayson Rodriguez was not going to be on the opening day roster for the Baltimore Orioles. If you drafted Rodriguez, and plenty of people did, including myself in a couple of places, how long should you be holding on to him? And how aggressive would you be in fab next week if somebody drops him this week? As an Orioles fan, I could take up the entire two hours just complaining about this roster move. I won't get into it. This is service time manipulation. That's what it is. At the time of recording, Grayson Rodriguez will have 50 more days until he is no longer considered to have expired a full year of service time and thus will have an additional year before he becomes arbitration eligible and then free agent eligible after that. I wanted him called up or I'm sorry, I want him called up before the end of April as an Orioles fan, as a baseball fan. I want him called up before the end of April. I expect him to be called up by mid-May. Orioles are most likely waiting for a favorable home matchup, allowing him to debut at Camden Yards with a chance for immediate success. Baltimore hosts the Tigers April 21st to 23rd, and then hosts the Pirates May 12th through 14th. I think those are the two most likely series to debut Rodriguez. 
So I'm really hoping as a fantasy manager that he's up by mid-May. I'm holding him if I've drafted him and where I have drafted him, I am holding him until at least the end of May. And if one of my league mates has dropped him in any 12 or 15 team format, I am bidding heavily on him 7 to 10% in 12 team leagues and maybe up to 20% in 15 team leagues where starting pitching is just so rare to find. Yeah, it is a it's a tough situation. Simple as that, especially if you drafted him where his ADP was. It's not a position that you want to be taking lightly. And you just, of course, you want more information that the Orioles are not willing to give at this time. So, yeah, I agree. Obviously, I'm stashing him as well where I can. There have been a slew of injuries, of course, as the season has just started off. So there's going to be at least a manager or two out there that needs to make a tough decision out there. And Rodriguez is going to be part of that. I know this is a fab podcast, but this is a great buy low opportunity. If you have a league mate who's looking to move him, I have a pending trade right now that's Hunter Brown for Grayson Rodriguez straight up. I'm a little bit lower on Hunter Brown than a lot of my league mates. I'm a little bit higher on Grayson Rodriguez than a lot of my league mates. So for me, that's a buy low. Might not be a buy low to some other people, but if I can make that happen or even throw in Hunter Brown for Grayson Rodriguez and Brendan Donovan or something like that, like another auxiliary piece. I'm definitely reaching out to managers to try to do that. Fair. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, let's talk about another guy that somebody may or may not have been aggressive last week in the first fab period in dropping due to the news that we had over the off season that Liam Hendricks was fighting cancer and he's going through his treatment. We didn't have any kind of timetable. There was speculation that he would miss the entire season or at least a good chunk of it. And now we've gotten good news. It's still cloudy, but the news is that the White Sox are not going to be placing him on the 60-day IL, Lucas. And it was reported that he's responded really well to his treatments, and the White Sox are hopeful that he may be back on the mound as as early as June. So definitely before the All-Star break, which I think is a lot earlier than most people, including myself, had been speculating. Does this news itself, or if you use news in quotations, impact how long you would be holding on to him if you didn't drop him already last week? I don't know. Somebody else on this podcast might have done. And how aggressive would you be if someone else in your league did drop him last week? Yeah, you kind of bounced around whether it's news or not that he was not placed on the 60-day IL. (laughs) It was noted that it was positive feedback, but... It was left very vague just so they don't have big expectations per se. Because obviously whenever they do bring him back, they're going to want him to be fully clean bill of health and feeling good and everything resolved. So I think, like you said, it's just a very murky situation. We really don't have any idea what's going to take place. But the fact that he's been doing side sessions, throwing bullpens and playing catch has been good. He seems to be like he's in pretty good shape and that he will be returning within a matter of months. But I'm just not trying to do as many stashes as I did uh, last year. That burned me a lot. He's available in a couple of my leagues, and I might throw a small bid where if I were to cut him, it wouldn't be no big deal. But I would say someone's probably going to be willing to throw 50 75 dollars on him, and that's not going to be me. Yeah. That's fair, especially with the limited bench spot you have in an NFBC league. If you've got unlimited IL spots. He probably wasn't dropped, so he's not available. But in that very rare instance, 
by all means, throw some extra cash in that situation. But if you got that limited spots, as I mentioned, there's a whole bunch of other IL situations that we have to be considering this week. So I totally get the conservative nature of how you're looking at this situation. All right, Brett, we got a couple little signings. First, we'll start with the New York Yankees, who they brought in Franchi Cordero. He signed a, I believe, a like a split contract where he gets a certain amount of money if he's on the major league team, a certain amount of money if they send him down. And he was with the op- on the opening day roster. What kind of interest should we have on Cordero? And is he taking any time away from somebody else on the roster that you might be more interested in? Sure. I think that Cordero, I'm going to put my Orioles fan hat on for another 30 seconds here. Cordero was cut by the Orioles after spring training. The Yankees scooped him up just as an additional left-handed bat. I don't think he's going to be fantasy relevant. I don't think he was ever going to be fantasy relevant. He might take some at-bats from Donaldson or LeMahieu or Stanton just as they circle through those guys and let them rest. Maybe he steals some at-bats from Aaron Hicks, who still hasn't gotten any, but he's not fantasy relevant until he gets significant playing time, which would probably take at least one or two injuries to the main guys in New York. Not somebody I'm interested in and not somebody that I'm really concerned about if I'm holding on to Donaldson, LeMahieu, Stanton, or any of those other right-handed bats in the Yankees lineup either. Yeah, regardless if he's, it's the whole adage of the lefty in Yankee Stadium, so you actually have to take some kind of notice. Maybe the only kind of notice you're taking is in like a DFS situation, and he's at home. So maybe keep an eye on that situation, but in a weekly format, yeah, you're not going to be optimizing your at-bats with Franchi Cordero at this time. I would just be interested to see when the Yankees end up cutting him and he signs with the Blue Jays. And hopefully he can sign with Tampa Bay before the end of the year, just so he can get all the ALS, AL East teams on his little punch card. Lucas, the Oakland Athletics, they DFA Christian Pache earlier on, and they found a trade partner with Philadelphia to take on the once touted prospect. Can Pache actually create any kind of value now that he's in maybe a more hitter friendly park than Oakland, which isn't which is hard to do. Oakland's one of the worst hitting parks there is, but something tells me that it wasn't the park that was really bringing down Pache's value. Do you have any interest in Pache now that he's with Philadelphia rather than Oakland? No interest. It's good for the real life team that they're going to take a solid gamble on him and just see what happens. Maybe he becomes a defensive replacement late in the game. I do some players that Philly has developed a little bit better under hitting coach Kevin Long. He's done a great job there. So if you're squinting really hard, you could look at that angle. But to me, that's just squinting too hard. NL only is really the only value he has. But if you're a Philly fan, it's not a horrible gamble since it is pretty much free. Do you? Kevin will bring this up every once in a while, but do you have any concern with that role that you just outlined of Pache being a defensive replacement uh, late in games for the starters with your Castellanos, with your Marsh and, and what have you, losing at-bats at the end of games due to Pache coming in and being the defensive replacement even in the seventh or eighth inning? Certainly a little bit of concern, but that's assuming he can take a roster spot and hold it. So we'll see. I feel like once a guy like this gets DFA'd once, it could just happen again, and next thing you know, he could have two or three teams. So, yeah, we'll see if he sticks. A slight concern, but not much you can do. Was that Lewin Diaz, who spent, who had, was on seven teams <laughs> this offseason? Yeah, that's who I was trying to think of. You yeah. called it there. <laughs> 
Oh, poor Luis Diaz. Let's move on to a different Diaz, Brett, with Yanir Diaz. He made the opening day roster for the Houston Astros over backup catcher Corey Lee. I personally, I'm excited about Diaz making this because I've got him in a bunch of my draft and hold spots as my third and or fourth catcher. But in a fab league, is he going to provide enough oomph or enough playing time really in this Houston, in this somewhat beat up Houston lineup that he's worth gambling on this, on this fab period? I don't think he's relevant yet. I think Mostly because of his eligibility on NFBC, ESPN, and Yahoo leagues, he's utility only. On CBS, he has catcher eligibility. So if I'm in a CBS league, I might be interested. Even especially in two catcher leagues, I'm not sure how many of those exist on CBS, but even in a one catcher league, I might, if I'm streaming catcher, if I've punted catcher in my draft, he might be a guy that I throw a dart on just because he had a 321 batting average in double A AA and triple A combined last season. He can rake. He's up there for his bat. He's not up there for his defense. But if the Astros give him some starts behind the plate, he immediately becomes relevant for those two catcher leagues as soon as he gains that catcher eligibility. Yeah, the fact that a player has is UT only in Yahoo and he has eligibility somewhere else is amazing. So that should take notice. You should take notice of that because of that reason in and of itself. All right. Another catcher talk, Lucas, Gary Sanchez signs with the San Francisco Giants, but he'll first report to extended spring training in Arizona and get warmed up. There's no specific timetable, at least from what I could find when he might actually get called up to San Francisco. What interest levels should there be for this One's power hitting catcher still has catcher eligibility. Joey Bart was scratched today as well. Their catching situation in San Francisco is murky at best. Can Sanchez actually be valuable with the Giants? It's a possibility, but as of now, he didn't get a chance to participate in spring training. So in my mind, he's a bit behind all the other players. They're desperate for Joey Bart to show any signs of life, but that's probably not going to happen in my mind and they have Roberto Perez too who can be a good framer so I think Sanchez would have to hit the ground running pretty good in AAA and they would have to feel decent about his defense and Bart would have to really struggle a lot so with all that being said for a fab league not worth a stash but if the reports are developing positively he might become a stash for somebody one day Bart does have one more option so if he stinks, they could just swap those two guys if Sanchez is playing well. It's a far cry from what everybody was crying for, was get Gary Sanchez to sign with Colorado. Everybody would have been a little bit more excited about that. And to your point, he hadn't had he hasn't had spring training, so no word on when he'll actually be on a major league roster. But I'd have to be pretty pretty hurt at the catcher position to be spending anything more than a dollar bid on a situation that I'm desperate for myself. So let's go to Colorado. See that? See how I did that? (laughs) Brett, we got Daniel Bard. He's going to the IL. He went on the IL with anxiety, which our heart goes out to him. He missed a lot of time in his career in the past for similar situation in a similar situation. I wish him the best. I hope he gets all the work, all the help he can get. But what are we looking at in Colorado as far as who's taking his place at the back end of the bullpen? And it's still Colorado. Should it matter? Before I get into the fantasy analysis, I think this might be the first time that I give the Rockies front office a compliment, but good on the Rockies for 
not really sugarcoating this, like calling it what it is. This is the first time in in my memory that I can remember the a major league ball team putting a guy on IL and actually calling it a mental health issue, like publicly labeling it as a mental health issue with anxiety. Good for the Rockies, good for Daniel Bard to recognize it in himself and get himself the help that he needs before the season starts. And hopefully all is well soon and he gets back quickly. Now for the fantasy analysis piece, Pierce Johnson was the guy to get the save on Friday night in San Diego. They used Brad Hand in the eighth. In the short term, I guess Johnson would be the guy, but I don't think it's not something I'm going to be bidding on in fab with Brad Hand also there. They could go with matchups, and I think it's Bard's job as soon as he comes back, which hopefully is sooner than later. And like you said, I'm not that interested in streaming relievers in course field either. Sure. And there's not a lot of history. I will say, obviously, Daniel Bard <laughs> was very valuable in the role, even with the Rockies. So it can be done, even if it's an unlikely source. So something just to keep an eye on. He's going to, Johnson got safe. So he's going to be bid on. He will go in every league. He'll be 100% rostered across the board. If you're in a desperate situation, make sure at least he's in your conditional bid that he's possibly on your roster instead of somebody else's. Lucas, let's go to Milwaukee where Luis Urias was diagnosed with a left hamstring injury and he heads to the 10-day IL. The Brewers are calling up prospect Joey Weimer where they did. He made his debut in center field batting ninth over the weekend. And what impact does Urias's absence have on the rest of the Milwaukee infield? And should we be excited to bring Weimer on board this weekend while we still have lots of fab dollars left? It should definitely stabilize the playing time in my mind for Brian Anderson and Bryce Turang. Those guys might have gotten a decent amount of at-bats beforehand, but it'll just certainly secure that. They're going to give a tryout for Joey Weimer to see if he can find lightning in a bottle, a prospect that has a lot of power, speed, potential. But his hit tool is downright scary bad. A 30% strikeout rate in AA last year, I don't see that automatically getting better in the majors. So to me, he's a stay away, but the range of outcomes is wide enough where he could give like a 220 average with a 2020 pace, but I think he'll probably just fizzle out in his first taste in the big league. So I'm not that interested in him, but I might throw, as Kevin would say, a keep him honest bid of 15 to 25 bucks and not get him. Yeah, I don't think this is Favapalooza. It's a little too <laughs> early in the season for that, but this is... It, we're not going to see the same kind of fabapalooza we saw a couple of years ago just because these top prospects are making opening day rosters and because teams want to have at least that chance at that extra draft pick. Weimer obviously did not eligible for that. He did not make the opening day roster, but here he is two days into the season. He's on that opening day roster, so good on him. Lucas, with your background in Dynasty and sex and things like that, is there any concern for Sal Freelich in that he was not the outfielder to get the call? Not too much of a concern because I think with Freelich, whenever they do give him the call, I think they want to install him in the lineup for good. Uh, rather than with Weimer, I think they want to try to test drive him and just give him a cup of coffee and just see what he can show. Also, Freelix younger too, so that's another small factor, but I don't, I wouldn't look at it as a red flag for Freelix. Yeah, I agree with that just because Freelix is the kind of guy that you bring him up, you're not going to send him back down unless he does a Jared Kellenic type of situation. Yeah. Weimer, you can justify sending him back down. 
I think, even though third third ranked prospect on their list, at least according to Pipeline, top hunter prospect. But still, I think that you could get to a point since he didn't make the opening day roster and you're calling him up because of an injury, you could justify sending him back down and still getting that added year of eligibility for him. Again, I say this all the time. You don't have to hold the guy down for the first three weeks of the season to gain that extra eligibility. You can do that at any point during the season. As long as they're down for that three or four weeks, at some point, they will gain that extra eligibility. Um, and just to update, from what I remember reading, Luis Rice should be out for a considerable amount of time. I think it was in the four to six week range, if not a little bit longer. So if you've got him, he turns into a stash as well. All right. Another IL stint, Brett. We got Max Free going to the IL with a leg injury for Atlanta. They already got Jared Schuster starting and Dylan Dodd is coming up to start as well to fill in for other injuries in the rotation. So who should Atlanta be turning to fill Freed's spot that just opened up? Sure. It sounds a lot like it's going to be a Bryce Elder spot start just because I don't think Freed's going to miss a ton of time. The way that Brian Snicker addressed it with the media, it sounds like Freed misses one, maybe two turns in the rotation and is out for the minimum amount of time before he returns. I think it makes the most sense for Bryce most sense for Bryce Elder to come up, knock out a spot start while Ian Anderson and Mike Soroka, who are the two guys that are probably the the other two that w- they would be considering, they'll stay in the minors, they'll keep stretching out, they'll keep developing and look to come up a little bit later. All right, that's fair. Yeah, especially with their schedule, that spot start makes a whole lot of sense. We got a couple more news items to get to, but we have to take a quick break. We'll be right back. All right, Lucas, in Los Angeles for the Dodgers, they lost Ryan Pepio before he even had a chance to take the mound. He goes in the IL before his first regular season start was scheduled. So the Dodgers are expected to have Michael Grove fill in his rotation spot on Monday, giving him the possible two-step versus Colorado in LA and traveling to Arizona over the weekend. So my question to you is that this is a guy that's going to be on the wire. He's going to be available. He's got a two-step. He did okay for himself in spring training. Some people thought that it was between him and Pepio to get that fist out anyway. So he's going to be bid on, but my question is, is this just the trap? There's certainly some risk to it as with any two-start starter. You have to realize that going in that it could just completely backfire. But Two good matchups, great team context, strong defense behind him. I wouldn't quite say it's a trap, but as we laid out, there certainly is some risk. And with him being on the Dodgers in that great team context, he's going to cost a somewhat of a premium in fabs. Yeah. Yeah. Just being on the Dodgers on itself, knowing that he's going to get those both of those starts, he'll go for a pretty penny for sure. Mm-hmm. He's got some re- name recognition because it's so close to spring training. I think that if this was a little bit deeper into April, even not even hitting May, this might go a little bit different, especially in shallower leagues, obviously not the main event and not the things like that, where people are pretty aware of everything that's going on everywhere. But because it is close to the end of spring training, the name Michael Grove is going to ring a bell in just about everybody's ears. All right. In New York, Brett, the, the situation in the Mets bullpen just got a little bit I don't know, cloudier, but they got some new members. David Peterson, he got knocked around a bit on Friday, filling in for Jose Quintana. And then Tyler McGill is filling in for Justin Verlander after he was placed on the IL with a low-grade Terrace major strain in his shoulder. McGill finished five innings on Saturday, striking out seven, giving up six hits of his own 
walking two and allowing two runs to score, both earned. Peterson was the first choice by the Mets to fill in the roster, that rotation. But now Miguel's in there. And who do you think sticks longer in that rotation? For my personal shares, I hope it's Peterson. I'm about 75% exposed to him in several different league formats. Frankly, I watched Peterson start. I did not get a chance to watch Miguel start. Peterson, it looked like one of those days where he just didn't have it. Like his stuff just wasn't doing what he wanted it to do. And he still manages to scrape through five innings, only allowing one earned. Even maybe this is confirmation bias for me more than anything, but I still felt okay about the start. It's just he didn't have his stuff. Everybody has one of those days. Looking at McGill's line, the strikeouts are awesome. The fact that he's able to get through five and only allow two earned runs and get the win is huge for fantasy managers. And he's definitely somebody just being on the Mets that I'm looking to pick up in fab. If I get a if I get the opportunity, I'll definitely be throwing a bid on him this weekend. But frankly, I think it's Peterson in the long run who's going to stick around just because of his performance in the spring. I think the Mets have shown that they like him a little better. And I think McGill has a history of being a little bit more inconsistent. He popped last year for a little bit and then fizzled out. We'll see what happens. Like I said, for my sake, I hope it's Peterson that sticks around. (laughs) Yeah, I, I was expecting McGill to not even go the full five innings going into this game through a small little wager on the under for his strikeouts. And he blew that up and threw my money in the trash. I was hoping in that respect that he wasn't going to go that, that full five. He did. And he obviously kept himself in the conversation, at least while Verlander is on the shelf. And we should be expecting to hear a little bit more on Justin Verlander's status, hopefully in the next couple of days. That shoulder strain sounds pretty similar to Tristan McKenzie, but Verlander himself said this is something that if it happened in September or October, he'd pitch right through it. So we'll, a lot of players, especially veterans, aces like him, will say something like that. I think Carlos Rodon said the same thing, and now he's out for an extended period of time through the beginning of the season. So take that with whatever size grain of salt that you have available. Last thing here, Lucas, the last thing that just came across the desk like an hour or two ago, Robbie Ray of the Mariners. He goes on the IL after his not-so-great start the other day. It turns out he's got a flexor strain and he'll be shut down for at least two weeks before ramping things back up. And the Mariners are hoping to have him back on the mound by mid-May. So who is getting the innings in the Seattle rotation and do you care? Yeah, I looked hard to see if there was something of interest and I didn't find a whole lot. I think they're going to give Chris Flexen a chance to work three, four innings and try to have the bullpen sop up a little bit more of that workload. One guy that if he does get called up, he's a bit raw, so I'm not exactly expecting it, but my interest will be piqued would be Perlander Baroa, high strikeout guy. I think he could work as a two-inning reliever potentially, and if he does, I think he'd be worth looking at in 15-team redraft leagues since he could have a high strikeout rate. Yeah, of course. I'm here crossing my fingers that they decide to put Matt Brash back into that situation, but it doesn't look likely at this point, no matter how many pitching ninja gifts he gets with his, with this stuff recently. Yeah. I think with Brash, I think that they found something that kind of works for him and they may just let him take off and see what happens in that role. 
Yeah, something no, if Flexen is the guy, I agree with you. This is not a guy that's gonna go five innings on a regular basis. And so if you can guess right on who's gonna be that first reliever in, you could vulture win. That mm-hmm. is some most people would say that's a fool's errand, but especially in daily moves leagues, that is something that is it's a viable strategy in my mind. Maybe not so much in a weekly league, the NFBC is a lot harder to measure that. But if you can see the trends of the bullpen and see who's being used first and who hasn't pitched in a couple of days you can roll the dice in the right league format for sure. All right, guys, that is enough news for today. That is going to wrap it up here for this episode. As always, I'm sure we missed some things worth noting. And to keep up with all the news of the day, make sure you are listening to Nick Pollock's Plus Pitch Podcast with highlights of every starting pitcher performance from the day prior and also the First Pitch Podcast now hosted by Casey Bubba and Jake Crumpler on the weekends. They break down all the news, highlights, and observations from every day's worth of games, as well as looking ahead at each slate to keep you up to date with everything you need to know to win your fantasy league. And now we're going to take a moment to talk to Lucas about his, I would say new-ish, and you can clarify, Lucas, I forgot when exactly you launched dcdynasty.co, your new venture, your new website, with pretty much all of your content all in one place. But I'm curious to know what's going on with DC Dynasty, what you're hoping to get out of it, what you have gotten out of it as far as what kind of content you've been creating for people and if you weren't the if you were the one consuming the content, what what would you be getting out of it? Let our listeners know a little bit more about what you've got going on and why they should be interested. Yeah, I've had the chance to do some different articles and content for some great people over the past four or five years, fantasy baseball wise, for Lenny Melnick, Casey Bubba, and Lou Landers, another good friend of the show. And uh, that was a good experience. I'm thankful to have done that, but I wanted to get a little bit more ownership over the product just because there were certain times where I was doing DFS and that's cool, but I realized it was a opposing season long and just didn't really fit in that good. So I wanted to have a site that was more focused on season long. And like I said, I wanted to take ownership of it. So I started the DC dynasty site since I love dynasty baseball too. uh, get a chance to look at the long-term as well as prospects. And I love draft champions league. So that's what the name DC dynasty comes from draft champion dynasty league. So that's the main focus as far as just the general outlook. Yeah. It's, it was an intro when I first saw the title of the site, I saw the DC and dynasty. They're not exactly, they don't butt heads per se, but they have some similarities because the fact that you're looking at such a deep roster in DCs, you got your 50 rounders, you got your 15 teams. So you're going pretty deep there. The, other aspect of that, and you hear this all the time, that we you hear from me, you hear from Kevin, you hear from other people talking about it, especially in the offseason during draft season, that you have to be very wary about how many prospects you are drafting in that kind of a format. So in that realm, they are a little bit, they kind of butt heads a little bit. But I do the fact that if you are blending the two, you get a good sense of like, all right, if I am going to draft prospects, I want to make sure that I'm drafting the right ones the ones that are actually going to be useful in a draft and hold. How are you putting forth? I'm assuming that the majority of your in-season content will be dynasty related since you can't really do much with a draft and hold (laughs) in a DC in-season beyond setting lineups, which obviously is an art form in and of itself with such a large roster. But what would be your plan as far as like the content you'll be putting out throughout the course of the regular season? 
Oh, yeah. As soon as the website launched, I tried to have six or seven different articles pre-prepped so I could just unleash those. If I got caught behind, then, you know, I'd have a few ready to go. So there's all sorts of different formats as far as different articles, several draft champions articles and some auction stuff. I even put together something about Gladiator since that was cool and a little bit on Dynasty, but did position tiers. So that took plenty of time. So hopefully some people got some great use out of that. And funny enough, with the biggest, the biggest, the most popular article was on deep starters. That got by far the most hits. People really wanted to learn about those post 250 ADP mm-hmm. starters. So I'm going to take that and think about that for next year. Not that I want to just do my articles based on what gets clicks, but if it helps people, that's where I'm at. But right now I'm just really working through fab. I want to let the season play out, just do fab articles. And if I come up with a different article, I'll certainly put it up there. Jeff Zimmerman talked about committing your prep, what you want to change for next year. Mm-hmm. So I actually have an article that I'm working on that I'm going to put up there at some point in the next day or two about what I'm going to change for my prep next year. So just little various articles like that, mostly fab. And then end of April, starting in May, potentially some dynasty ideas will follow through. Can't really rush into a whole lot for dynasty. You want to take your time and be deliberate, but at the same time, strike while the iron's hot. Yeah, I think that especially the article you're talking about that Jeff Superman was talking about on Twitter is really useful. What's funny about that is that really it's just useful for you, but it's also ends up being useful to others who are in similar situations as you. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's I think it's great that you're able to take your own experience and things that you're going to be changing for yourself and then being able to present it in such a way that ends up being useful to somebody else, whether they knew it or not. And they, you could have 50 people read the piece and 45 of them might read it and be like, you know what? It didn't really click with me, but those five people, they're like, you know what? Points A, B, and C are like spot on with what exactly I went through. So I think that it's it's really important to get as much content as possible in your life. So make sure listeners out there that you have, if you haven't already, you're checking out dcdynasty.co and everything that Lucas has got going on over there. And Luke, can you remind everybody, not only, obviously I just said the website title again, but where they can find you, at least on Twitter, I'm trying to do this thing where I do it in the middle of the show now because I don't want to have people wait through, <laughs> make sure you get as much plug as possible here and where things specific besides your fab articles that you might be working on. You're still doing Lucas as well, correct? Yes. You can find me on Twitter at LucasBeery33. That's spelled L-U-C-A-S, last name Beery, B-I-E-R-Y. We also do similar to Adam and Kevin here. We have our own fab podcast. It's usually more in the 20 to 30 minute quick hitter variety, walking the dog, just need to listen in to see if you're missing anything. Feel free to pop us on. We want a quick hitter just because we know there's a lot of things to do in the world. So Mm -hmm. quicker, the better for us. You guys have more long form and they both have good benefits there. But yeah, I'll be doing fab article for DC Dynasty too. And I'm going to try to incorporate some kind of content as far as cuts on that, as well as Dynasty pickups. I've worked on my article for this week and I've got about six or seven different prospects that I think would make some good for some good pickups. So if you're in a really deep keeper or a true dynasty league, check out some of those dynasty darlings as I tab them in my fab article. Nice. Nice. All right, guys, we are going to get into the actual recommendations for the second 
week of fab here in just a moment. But of course, we do have to take our second quick break. All right, we're back. And as we do each and every week, we are going to go category by category and get your guys' takes on who you might be targeting this week, depending on your format. And if you're looking for certain areas of need, especially in the each category. Of course, we do it category by category, not by position, besides cutting it into hitters and pitchers. And so, of course, everybody's needs are a little bit different. Keep that in mind as you are taking these recommendations. But Brett, let's start us off in the power category, home runs, RBIs. If you're looking for those categories or you took a hit somewhere else for whatever reason in those categories, who might you be looking at based on the availabilities that might be out there? Especially in the short term, I'm looking at Elaris Montero. He's the third baseman in Colorado. He's started all three games so far for the Rockies at third base. He got the start against the lefty on opening day and popped a homer off a right-handed reliever. I think it's a good sign for him that he's hitting from both sides or hitting pitchers from both sides. And he's started the year four for nine. He's got a hot bat and uh, he returns to cores for the second half of the week next week against a Washington pitching staff, which we've seen get roughed up already. He gets pace Patrick Corbin and Josiah Gray. Sign me up. Yeah, I was really, I was disappointed with Josiah Gray's performance. I was really hoping that he would cut down on some runs scored with that new cutter, but obviously that did not come into fruition this Saturday. And seeing him in Colorado is not giving me any more confidence. So we'll see how that goes. Colorado obviously has not played in Colorado yet. They, as you said, they will return to Colorado next week. So it'd be nice to get those at-bats in a more conducive environment. Lucas, you got somebody that's a little bit more readily available, even in your 15-teamers. Talk to me about Trevor Larnack and why you might be looking at him. Yeah, with Larnack, he's a strong prospect coming out of the draft. He was a firm first-rounder, and he's stopped and stalled with injury issues. And right now he has a clean bill of health, and he's been batting cleanup for the Minnesota Twins. He's a guy based on his fan graph tool grades with a 65 raw power, anything over 60 is going to automatically catch my eye and I think that getting a guy with this much power in that lineup spot and good pedigree is just a perfect combination to draft to take him on in any 15 team formats and deeper 12s online championship he's a little borderline as of now since that's a very churn and burn type of league you have to have very high standards in the online championship but in 15 teamers he should be fully rostered everywhere after this weekend for good power potential. Yeah, just that ability to be in the middle of the lineup. As you said, he's been batting cleanup in that lineup, and they have their own injuries to deal with. And so as long as those injuries are still keeping Polanco's of the world out of the lineup, it looks like he's going to be stuck there. And at the very least, even if he's not hitting home runs, he's going to have plenty of RBI opportunities in that spot. I know I picked him up in a 12-teamer on Yahoo the other day just because I needed an outfielder. And this is a three-outfielder league. It made a whole lot of sense in my situation. But yes, I agree that in those shallower leagues, you do have more opportunity to cut bait when necessary. But as long as he has that spot, I think he'll be on my roster as well, especially in those, even in a 12-teamer on the NFBC, you got five outfield slots. And he's he's definitely worth some consideration. I think he's going to go in plenty of leagues this fab period. All right, moving on to the speed categories, guys. Stolen bases and runs scored. Lucas, start us off here. Who might you be looking at to swipe you some bags and or at least score some runs? 
Yeah, so a player that last year cost $300 plus in a fab run. <laughs> yes, he did. Josh Lowe from Tampa Bay, they gave him loads of opportunities in spring training, and I think they want to give him a chance to take a regular role. Being Tampa, not a ton of guys have true every single day of playing time, so he's going to be benched from time to time. But last year at AAA Charlotte, he went 25 for 27 on the base pass, only getting caught twice. So that was pretty nice to see that. It's yet to be determined whether or not he's going to be able to make it as a regular, but he's available in all the 12-team leagues and with stolen bases being on the rise, certainly not a bad stab in the dark for Josh Lowe. He's also available in 13% of main events. So after this weekend, I imagine that number will be 100% and certainly a good skill set. It's just a matter of whether or not he can cut down that strikeout rate and make contact against elevated pitches at the top of the zone, but we'll see. Yeah, Josh Lowe did not start the home op- or the season opener, actually also the home opener for Tampa Bay, but was in there for game two on Saturday. Two for four, scored a run, two RBIs, no stolen base yet, but everybody scored a run. I think in that game it was 12 to two final score. <laughs> That's to say he won't get more opportunity there. I would like to see it happen. I have many leagues where I've seen him dropped and I would like to see somebody else <laughs> take advantage of that if I can't. All right, Brett, we got other options here for stolen bases and or runs. I always say this, but runs are part of the speed category. We don't necessarily have to be recommending guys who are going to steal bases, though I do believe that the guy you're going to talk about has that in his back pocket if he needs it. So talk to me about your option to score some speed. Yeah, it's uh, Yuan Bay, the outfielder out of Pittsburgh. He stole two bags on opening day. He is currently only outfield eligible but he will gain second base, middle infield eligibility by the third or fourth week of the season. He started in both of Pittsburgh's games as of Saturday, and he looks to have the opportunity over Castro against righties. It sounds like Rodolfo Castro is going to be a weak side platoon bat, so that opens up a lot of playing time for Bay, and it creates a lot of opportunities to change team names if you do pick him up. So definitely a guy with a lot of speed, 60 grade speed on fan graphs, 50 stolen bases, in 21 and 22 combined in the minors. So he's got a lot of speed potential and could boost your stolen bases going forward. With Bay, I'm not astonished because the WRC plus isn't that high, but the projection systems have a tight band of about 92 to 99 WRC plus. There's nothing that's dragging him down too far. And if he can stay in that range, he can keep enough playing time to, to get you 20 steals. So that's a good call out there. I like that. Yeah, I saw Bay play last year. I went to Pittsburgh's AAA affiliate. Lucas is aware. Indianapolis Indians play right here in Indianapolis. And I went on my 40th birthday and I saw him play. I had not heard of Bay before that. He looked really good. A lot of things happened in that game. There was an inside the park home run. There was somebody stole three bases in the first two innings. He wasn't that he didn't stand out in that way. Just but by watching him play in general, the way he carried himself, I knew he was he got that cup of coffee at the end of last year as well and so i wasn't too terribly surprised of that even with the way that pittsburgh typically handles some of their offensive prospects and pitching prospects for that matter so it'll be nice to see how much run he gets in pittsburgh and you know what we can see him doing on the base pass all right guys let's move the other thing about bay is he's not gonna hurt you and he's gonna hurt you in power but he's not hurting you in your batting average at least not from his history as well so keep that in mind that's not hurting you 
there talking about batting average. So I want to squeeze in that segue whenever, wherever, wherever I possibly could. We're going to move on to our opportunity section before I get your guys' recommendations. I want to remind everybody kind of the schedule notes that are coming up for next week. There are only four teams with a full seven-game work week. That's Atlanta, Kansas City, Toronto, and Washington, the only four teams that have seven games this coming week. Every other team plays six, though, so nobody's got the two off days next week. We got Baltimore, Boston, Cincinnati, Detroit, Houston, Miami, Minnesota, the Mets, the Yankees, and Philadelphia. They have their off day on Friday. So I mentioned that, of course, because due to the NFBC lineup changes on Friday, you actually lose all those at bats on a three day on the three day portion of your week. So something to consider that you're going to be losing some at bats. You'll get the four full days at the beginning of the week. You won't lose it there. But it's always odd to get that off day on Friday. I know it happens early in the season, but something to plan for as well. Every other team is off either Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. And then I'll note Cincinnati does go back to Cincinnati. They host the Cubs for three to start the week. And then they held to Philadelphia for the weekend. Not no, not a shabby hitter's park, but look for Cubs bats to take advantage of Great American Small Park at the beginning of the week. And then Colorado, they have a two-game set in LA to start the week but they do host Washington for four straight Thursday through Sunday, as we mentioned earlier. So get those Colorado home games in your lineup. All that in mind and anything else you want to consider, Brett, who might you be looking at who might have themselves a good opportunity ahead of themselves, whether they're batting in a nice park, if they are walking into more playing time, or the case might be, who do you like for this coming week as far as an opportunity goes? My favorite bat that is probably available in just about any 12 team league, but might be um, might not be available in a 15 teamer is going to be Robbie Grossman outfield now in Texas. He's their everyday left fielder. He has started both games and he's part of a Texas Rangers murderers row that put up 25 runs on the Phillies so far this weekend. That's on Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler and the Phillies bullpen. Texas bats are hot right now and Grossman's right in the thick of things. With everyday playing time, Robbie Grossman has only had one season where he's had more than 600 plate appearances. That was 2021 with the Tigers. He went for 23 home runs and 20 steals. That's the kind of ceiling he has with Texas this year as their everyday left fielder. So give me Robbie Grossman in 12-team leagues and definitely 15-team leagues. After this weekend, he should be 100% rostered in 15-teamers. Yeah, with the playing time we've seen what Grossman can do, I don't expect the any kind of speed to come back <laughs> that we might have saw that one season. But if he's in even in the middle or even in the bottom half of that Texas lineup, as you mentioned, they're hot right now. You got to ride that while you can. I wouldn't necessarily be throwing all my cash, but in a 12 teamer, you don't have to. He can definitely be part of that waterfall bid, maybe just toward the sec- the top half of that waterfall conditional bids that you might have going on in those 12 teamers. Lucas, who might be looking at some either adding playing time or or a good situation moving forward for this coming week. So my player is like Robbie Grossman, a guy who thankfully escaped Detroit for hitting one note. I wanted to list here on Grossman. I unfortunately had him in too many leagues last year, probably five or six chairs. And uh, there was an article that came out as soon as he got to Atlanta, where they had restructured his hitting mechanics and he had 12 points higher in WRC plus he immediately was a better hitter. So that shows you how poor the coaching was in Detroit. And this guy's going to get a boost getting out of there. Heimer Candelario, park upgrade going from Detroit to Washington. 
he gets a seven full seven game full week from Monday through Sunday with four big game big games at Coors. Coors hasn't warmed up since it's still chilly outside, but it's a Babbitt Haven, and I think Candelario can even be streamed in twelve teamers this year for the full week and four games in Coors. Yeah, Candelaro still looking for his first hit of the season. He's got an 0 for 7 in his first two games. He's still got a game on Sunday as you're listening to this against Atlanta. And he does have the seven games, and four of them are in Colorado. But the other three are in Washington, so not a terrible place. Against Tampa Bay, you don't know what you're going to get with the Tampa Bay pitching staff, but at least he'll be at home for those other stints. So that's that's nice to see. All right, let's move on to our pitching categories. In my opinion, the especially with the injuries and just the flux of the rotations, pitchers are in flux too much to be looking too far ahead at two-start pitchers. So we, I'm going to skip that. We will be getting to that as the season progresses, so look forward to that. If you want to take any kind of risk on that, the easiest thing to do is just look at the schedule. Who's pitching on Wednesday? They have the best shot at getting a two-start week the week after. So if you do want to get ahead of that, spend a little bit less fab money on a pitcher like that's something you want to be considering. But let's look at just this week coming up, guys. Brett, we'll start with you here. Wins and Ks, we're looking at the counting stats. We're looking at guys who can vulture win. They can start off and go five innings and get that win. Maybe they have a two-start. Maybe they don't. Who are you looking at to gain these counting stats in the pitching category? For this coming week. The guy I'm looking at for wins and K's right now is Dre Jameson down in Arizona. He came in relief for the Diamondbacks on Friday night, piggybacking off of Merrill Kelly, who was on a 75 pitch count or was pulled after 74 pitches. I don't know if he was on a pitch count or not pregame, but Jameson came in and locked down the Dodgers pretty much. The only run he gave up was on a Mookie Betts solo home run. He earned the victory out of the pen and looked good doing it. He's got a fastball-slider combo that play well off each other, and he could absolutely work into that Arizona rotation if a Madison Bumgarner, Zach Davies, or Ryan Nelson struggle early. And as we're recording, Madison Bumgarner got touched up for five runs in the first inning against the Dodgers Saturday night. Who knows? By the time you're listening to this, Jamison could be announced as a starter for the Diamondbacks. But he's the guy that I like this week. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, I think... Unless there's an injury behind it, I'll be really shocked. I'll be shocked if Bumgarner gets pulled from the rotation for Arizona. But with that being said, ouch. Who's to say that Jameson couldn't come in and follow Bumgarner after having a horrendous start to a game in that situation as well? So there could be opportunities there for sure. Lucas, who we got? Who are we thinking about for wins and K's going into the first full week of the major league season? Yeah, this was a tricky one, and I like Brett's call a lot more than mine, but I'll throw somebody out there that has given me a little bit of interest. Not a lot, but it seems like there's a lot of mixed messaging, mixed reports on Kyle Muller of Oakland. He's not going to give you much wins, but he has ample opportunity, and he has a good park. It seems like he's waxed and waned from falling in of favor to out of favor, and I think he's just inconsistent is what it seems but he's got a fringe fastball and a fringe curveball with a decent slider. His command can be all over the place, so he's not a guy that you can start, but if you want to pick him up for a few dollars, keep him on your bench and just see what develops, that would be my advice for him. And not this week, but the following week, he'll get two starts, so he'll qualify for this, but he's more of a wait and see. Stash him for a few dollars and just see what happens because he could have a decent true talent level. It's just hard to say since he's so inexperienced. 
That's probably fair. And I'll just echo what we said earlier in the show. Look, keep an eye on Michael Grove. He's going to get drafted by somebody. He does have those two, potentially have those two starts and they're pretty good matchups, especially with Colorado on the road. Of course, Colorado has not played in Colorado yet. So the Rocky road exposure doesn't, uh, doesn't hit as hard when they haven't actually spent any time in Colorado to be used to the thin air, but somebody that will get picked up by somebody in your league and if you got hit hard by Tristan McKenzie being on the IL or Grace Rodriguez not being called up and you just need that volume, Grove is going to be available and it might be somebody that fits your team. Let's move on then to the ratio categories here, guys. Lucas, start with you. Who's going to chip away? And I say this every week. You can chip away your ERA and your whip in April just as much as you can in August. Actually, more. And so... Picking up the guys that are going to do that for you is just as important now as it is then. So who might you be looking at if you are, if that's where your focus lies? Yeah. So two teammates that I think are nice ads to just have onto your team, Adam, for a few dollars. Brian Abreu is going to cost more than a few dollars, but I think you can get him for a reasonable bit of about 10 to 15. Ryan Presley was unavailable today and here's a chance that some injury news could be coming out with him he dealt with injuries last year and he's aging so i love quiet lucas he was just sick he was just (laughs) sick (laughs) that could be the case but at the same time even if he is healthy i think brian abreu and hector naris both have standalone value with an upside to have a share at saves and I love Griffin Jacks too. I think that Minnesota has been proven to mix and match a lot over the years, not necessarily having that one old school closer with a capital C. So I think Griffin Jacks is automatic ratio tripper with decent strikeouts and might be able to factor into a save potentially as a bonus. Fair enough. But Ryan Presley is just sick. I'm just saying that again. He'll be <laughs> fine, at least for now. Anyway, Brett, who might you be looking at ratios? Not necessarily any other categories that we will get into in just a moment. We're just talking about ERA and whip. If they happen to vulture a win or grab a save from a sick teammate, that's fine. But we're focusing on those ratios. Who might you be looking at? Uh, I'm looking in the Yankees bullpen with Jonathan Loisiga. But before I get to the recommendation, the one thing I love about ERA and whip is that it's the only pitching categories that your opponents can come to you. Your opponents can get worse mm-hmm. while you're getting better. Picking up guys like Abreu, like Nerys, like Griffin Jacks, or like Jonathan Loisiga can be a sharp move at any point during the season. The reason I like Loisiga so much, his fastball pops. He's been excellent in the Yankees pen. And it's a war of attrition there with Michael King and Clay Holmes both getting roughed up on Saturday afternoon by the Giants. I think Luiska is going to be one of the most reliable relievers for the Yankees this season in limiting base runners as well as keeping a low ERA. And if he snakes a couple saves here or there or perhaps gets named as the closer later in the year, that's just a bonus. Yeah, that's fair. I totally agree with your sentiment that this is these are the categories. Obviously, batting average fits that bill as well on the hitting side, but these are the categories that you can let your teammates or your league mates come to you rather than having to jump up in the standings there. They're only the ratios are the only ones that fit that bill. I'll throw out just a shout out to Garrett Clevenger of Tampa Bay and pretty much anybody in the Tampa Bay bullpen. They've got a great schedule to start off the season. I grabbed Clevenger yesterday in a daily league because he didn't pitch in the first game. Of course, he pitched an inning, two strikeouts, 
no earned runs. And so he chipped away at those ratios in my head-to-head league. And that plays a big role, especially in a head-to-head league where you're only playing for the week. If you're playing for the whole season, I know how difficult it is to wrap your head around the fact that a reliever who's going to go maybe three innings on the week, how much of the impact is that going to have by September? It adds up. And if you can get three to four, if you do this right, strong innings, out of a good reliever who maybe didn't pitch over the weekend and he pitches on Monday and then again on Wednesday or Thursday and then again on Sunday and you get as much volume out of those guys as possible. It is, it does matter about usage and how their bullpens are being, are using them. So you got to keep an eye on all those situations. All right, let's move over on to the last pitching category here, guys saves and I'll let, Brett, I'll let you start this off because I want to know you want to piggyback on a couple of the guys that Lucas just brought up in the last category in the Houston bullpen. Who are you grabbing if it's not Brian Abreu, if it's not Hector Neris out of the Houston bullpen, assuming that there's something a little bit more amiss with Ryan Presley? Yeah, I feel like I should apologize to you, Adam. I'm I'm looking at Rafael Montero. <laughs> Presley was shaky, literally. He was shaking out his arm in his first outing. He didn't pitch on back-to-back nights. The Astros had back-to-back save opportunities to open the season, and Montero got the save in Game 2. He would be the obvious choice if Presley did miss time, and uh, he could overtake Presley as a closer even without an IL stint. So give me Montero. He's about... owned in 12-team leagues, more like 90% owned in 15-teamers, so he's probably not available in your 15-team leagues. But definitely snatch him up if you get a chance in your 12-teamers, for sure. Yeah, 26% rostered on Yahoo. As you mentioned, about 48% rostered in the NFBC Online Championships, those 12-teamers, so still readily available in those shallower formats. I'm surprised he's so low rostered in Yahoo just because those are daily, mostly daily move leagues and you know the teams can jump at, the, at that a little bit quicker than they can. They don't have to wait for fab per se. So we'll see how much that changes over the weekend. Hector Neris did get the save today on Saturday. They did have three straight save opportunities for the Houston Astros and only one of them was not converted and that was, of course, Brian Presley. Now, um, luckily, I don't have a whole bunch of exposure to Presley this year. I just I traded for him last year in my dynasty league, and so I still got him. And I I, I already lost Liam Hendrick at least for the first couple months of the season. So I would like <laughs> my other quote solid closer to hold up at least for a little while. All right, Lucas, who else are you looking at to maybe grab some saves? Whether they grab the role or not is maybe not necessarily necessary necessarily necessary yeah i can that makes sense but they might as long as you can get one save at a guy in a week it's a good pickup so who are you looking at in that situation yeah so as everyone knows saves can change by the hour as far as your saves targets one guy that i think if he's dropped in your league dylan floro is worth a pickup because i think miami could mix and match a lot aj pucks had a lot of health issues so I don't think that he'll be seeing back-to-back outings to start out the year, and they might just be cautious with him since, like I said, he's had loads of health issues. So I think Dylan Floro is just decent enough to be able to shut the door in the ninth inning. He's not an exciting skills guy, but I think he's just good enough where he could vulture some saves from time to time and 
decently protect your ratios, even though the strikeouts will be fairly muted. And Tanner Scott did not help himself at all in the season opener where he came in like the seventh inning and he blew the save opportunity in the seventh inning and got the (laughs) loss, I think. So I know he was part of the quote three-headed, I'm not quoting anybody, I'm just making this up, the three-headed monster in (laughs) Miami. But he was listed as somebody who was going to be part of the closer committee Floro's ob- the obvious handcuff to Puck, if not Puck the handcuff to Floro. So Floro is still available. I know he was drafted probably in more places than Puck was, but both of these guys need to be rostered. And if even if it ends up just being a timeshare, especially in a deeper league, every save, every save is going to matter for sure. All right, in our final category, guys, my favorite category, the wild card category. This could be pretty much anybody, whether they didn't fit into one of the categories we talked about earlier, or it's a stash, or just somebody you're hoping is going to turn it around for whatever reason. It can be whatever reason you want here. Brett, start us off. Who's your wild card selection for this coming fab period? The wild card selection for me is not so much a stash as it is somebody who I would have put alongside Robbie Grossman in the opportunity section, and that's Gio Urshela. He's 28% owned in the main event, which is a 15-teamer, and really only 1% owned in in online championships, which is a 12-team format. But he's the starting shortstop in, in, in LA for the Angels, or in Anaheim for the Angels. He's currently third base eligible, quarter infield eligible, but he'll be shortstop MI soon enough. He's got a hot bat to start the year, and if he gets everyday playing time, he could get back to his 2019 form where he hit 21 homers and batted 315. He's a guy where, at the end of the year, I think we're going to be holding him up next to the DJ LeMayhews and the Brandon Drury's of the league and saying, wow, look what I could have gotten, this position flexibility, great bat, great average, and look how cheap I could have gotten him when I paid for DJ LeMayhew in the 12th, 13th round. I think that... Bella could pay off big time. He could be one of those guys that I hate to use the term league winners, but he could be one of those guys that puts you in contention in your league. With Urshela, it's been, I was surprised the past three full seasons, his average is 314, 298, and 285. So we talked about ratio chippers for pitchers. I would say he qualifies as that ratio chipper for offense too. Yeah. And as Brett mentioned, hot bat batting 500 in the first two games of the season, a couple RBIs, a couple runs scored, is batting eighth in that lineup. But that's to say that if that bat stays as hot, that hot, and yeah, let's talk about salt samples. <laughs> but I get it. But he'll still end up moving up into a more, even more prominent RBI situation. Lucas, finish us off here. Final recommendation for the wild card category for any particular reason. And as a caveat, those listening, playing in NFBC, of course, you know that we are now into a point of the season where you won't be able to pick up prospects in the NFBC if they were not drafted and dropped in your leagues. So you'll have to wait until they make their MLB debut. That being said, if they're available, Lucas, who are you looking at to pick up in the second fab period? Yeah, so this is a player that might not go onto all my teams because he does have a niche category since he's not a full-time player yet. But I love Will Brennan of Cleveland. He has an amazing hit tool, three at three eleven average at Double A last year, three sixteen at Triple A. I wouldn't call him a huge burner, but I think there's chance for fifteen to eighteen plus steals if he were to play a full year. And I think he's just a solid player that has a very high floor. 
he's going to need Miles Straw to struggle a lot or an injury to Oscar Gonzalez or Stephen Kwan for him to play, but you can get him for literally a few dollars. I like the skills, and he's already on the big league roster, so I think Will Brennan for a few bucks, it's a decent gamble, and you can cut bait if you need the spot. Yeah, those are always the fun ones. If you have the flexibility on your bench to throw in a buck or two, even if they end up being like third or fourth on your conditional bid list and you get stuck with them, you're not upset <laughs> per se because then you can wait and see to see if that playing time does come into flourishing. So it is not out of the realm of possibilities that Miles Straw struggles. <laughs> uh, it has happened in the past and we'll see move probably happen again in the future non-zero chance yes exactly (laughs) all right with that being said brett i'm going to give you the floor here to take over for kevin's final words do you have any final words of encouragement or recommendations to fantasy players out there as they as we enter the first full week of major league baseball season yeah i only hope that i can do kevin justice with these final parting words for our listeners here don't be a trash panda Rocket City Trash Pandas are the AA affiliate of the Los Angeles Angels. They're located in Huntsville, Alabama. I love the logo. I love the team name. They might be my favorite logo and mascot of all the minor league baseball teams that we have. But that's not what you want to be in fantasy. You don't want to be digging in the trash for the first shiny object you find. When you're dealing with fab, you want patience. You want persistence. You try to find, or I tried to find a, a corresponding minor league team or mascot to resemble that approach. I had to settle for an independent team out of Fairbanks, Alaska, the Alaska Gold Panners. There you go. So when you're in the fab, you, you want to be like a gold panner, focus on the process, do the research, put in the work, and you'll get the solid pickups. You're bound to find something valuable when you're educated, you're doing the research, and you're trusting your process. Don't be a trash panda, be a gold panner, trust your process, be educated, and do what you can to win your fab. I like that because I think it is so easy to get away from your process mm-hmm. once the season starts. And it's like, all right, we're here. Let's. There's no autopilot. It's you got to <laughs> make sure you're being consistent with yourself and learning from your own mistakes, as Lucas, as you said earlier on in the show, and moving on from that. I think that was words to live by, Brett. I appreciate that a lot. Hopefully our listeners take that to heart as well. And nobody here wants to be a trash band. As simple as that. All right, guys, that is going to wrap it up for episode 109 of On The Wire. Please make sure to subscribe, share, and review the podcast wherever you are listening. We will be back every Sunday with a detailed fab breakdown throughout the 2023 season. Of course, keep a lookout for Brett's companion article over at PitcherList.com. It comes out every Sunday afternoon as well. You can follow myself on the Twitter at 80 grade. That's all spelled out. Kevin is at Hastings Kevin. Follow the pod at On The Wire Pod. I'd like to once again thank Brett Ford for coming back, and hopefully we'll have him again on soon. And you can follow him at Fade That Man, and of course our guest Lucas Berry for joining us once again. Follow him at Lucas Berry Thirty Three. Links to all this stuff is in the show description notes, so make sure you take a look at that for easy access to everything I just blabbered on about. After all that, I am Adam Howe on behalf of Kevin Hastings. Thanks for listening. We bid you goodbye.